Good morning. It is uh, wonderful to be back here and to see so many familiar faces, people actually as old as me, and new faces as well. Cece, hi. Wow. Um, welcome. If this is your first time to Capitol, one thing that we really appreciate about this family that even though you, wow, you have transitions, people coming and going, um, one family that stood up today, not the Jennings, the other family, I remember when you stood up to say you were here for the first time, when they said, do we have any new people, and you introduced yourselves. So it's hard to believe three years have passed by, and now they're on their way to somewhere else. But it really is a community, whether you stay a long time or a short time, and I hope you sense that. So, So I won't ni. Or if you speak uh, Arabic, Allah wasallam. Welcome. We're really glad to have you here. Um, it's summertime. People coming and going. Um, people who are in transition, moving. Other people are getting ready, maybe moving into the city in a couple weeks. A um, lot of things moving around. But one thing people usually think about when they think about summer is they want to get a rest. They want to get a break. Now, probably a lot of your friends... A lot of people that you know are somewhere else. Maybe they're traveling in Europe. Maybe they're on holiday in Japan or somewhere else. And you're here. Possibly you don't have enough money to go anywhere. Or maybe your company has told you you have to stay here for the summer, but your family's off on a vacation somewhere. And we usually think about getting away from the office, getting away from the classroom, getting away from whatever responsibilities we have here so that we can rest. But actually, what does it mean to get rest? What does it mean to get refreshed? How many of you know you can go back home to wherever home is and you can come back here even more tired? Maybe there's a lot of people that you have to see. Maybe there's a lot of things that you need to do when you go back to wherever home is. So what does it mean to get rest? What does it mean to be renewed? I want to talk about this just a little bit today. The first picture that I want to show up there is of a guy who has been a mentor for me and um, was my pastor for many, many years. I'm from Minnesota in the States, and um, when I knew him some, I don't even know now, 20, 30 years ago, he's one of the best Bible teachers I know. His name is Ned Berube, and I've kind of tracked him, followed him along. He lived, obviously, in the neighborhood of our church and whatnot, and I knew him for many, many years. He's probably one of our biggest cheerleaders. But it was interesting because he's, he's, he, he's really good at discipleship, again. He's really good at preaching, teaching. Um, he's really good at church strategy, church planting, all those kinds of things. The denomination that I'm a part of, he's the, the lead guy now. He's the head. But I've noticed something that happened about a year ago. He started talking about Jesus as if Jesus was standing next to him. And I could tell something changed in his heart. It wasn't that he didn't believe God before. It wasn't that he had forgotten God. But there was something that was renewed. And in all of his blogs and all of his messages and different things, he talked about Jesus in a way that I hadn't heard for a long, long time. And when I asked him, he said, you know, at his, at his age, he's like 66, I think, he said, you begin to realize nothing is as important as God. 
And we all say we know that, and we would answer that on a test as what's important. But he said, my heart has been renewed. And it was almost like he'd been born again, again. <laughs> um, because he talked like someone who had been a Christian for about three or four months. His life was really changed. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting. Really, really interesting. A couple nights ago, we don't have a picture for this, but a dear sister who is a local sister from here, we have known for ever, it seems like. I think we've known her for 20 years as well. And we met with her. We don't see her very often, but we met with her, and it's usually, you know, how's, how are things going? What's happening? And she's been in ministry for many, many years, and um, she's actually on her way to getting a Ph.D., and so we talked a little bit about that. And we said, well, how are everything going? She said, things are going well, and this is what's happening and whatnot. And she said, but something else has happened to me. And she's probably about 10 years, 8 years younger than us. And she said, I feel like I've fallen in love with Jesus again. She said, I've been renewed. Something has happened. And she was almost kind of embarrassed to talk about it. She said, because my time with the Lord is wonderful it's great. And this is not someone who has a lot of time. This is, both of these individuals are incredibly busy. They're always needed. And they're not in easy situations either. And I thought, there it is again. And, and what is it? Okay, some of you may know a, a, a professor, writer named Robert Clinton, Bobby Clinton. He, many, many years ago, started to do a research on leadership. And he looked at leaders in the Bible looked at ministry leaders throughout history, and do you know most leaders do not finish well? Most leaders do not finish well. Now, let that just sink into what that means. That's a staggering statistic. Um, him and his team throughout the years have, have researched over 6,000 living and dead leaders, and they came to the same conclusion. Most leaders do not finish well. Now, if you're a leader of any sorts, whether it's for Microsoft, whether it's for Lenovo, or whether it's for a church somewhere back in another country, or whether it's here, this is something you need to pay attention to. Whether you're a youth and you're on your way to start leading, all of us are leaders in some ways. All of us influence. How do we finish well? How do we make sure that we don't end up as a statistic? who had a good ministry, who had a good family, who had a good job, who had a good career. But by the end of your life, one of those or all of them are ruined. Think about the people in the Bible. How did Solomon finish? You know, we, we, we think he was very wise. He was the wisest person at that time, and yet he didn't finish well. So how about these people who are renewed? What happened? Did they read a new book, go to a wonderful conference, God touched them in some way, listen to a good speaker, um, or did they find a, the one secret to being close to God? What is it? What happens? Now, if we show this timeline, um, Professor Clinton talks about, if you can see number one, I know some of you are way, way in the back there, you can move up. I actually did this purposely to put small types so you would move up. I'm joking. Um, the first one is foundations, and this goes from the time you're born till about the time you're maybe 20, 25 years old. And that's where, where you're from, um, what country, your family, uh, what denomination, what happened to you, whatever, whatever. All of that plays into how you view God, 
how, what you think about God. Um, the next one is preparation, and that's usually finding our way. This is where we step into leadership, whether you're 22, 30, or whatever. And again, it could be in a job, it could be in a ministry, whatever. But usually that's when you start doing whatever is on your, your card, that, you know, whatever title you have. You start doing that. And then you get to number three, contribution, okay? And that is when you've had a number of years already in your job, your career, you've had a number of years in ministry, and when you get between the age of maybe 35 and 55, you're doing it and doing it, but something happens. A lot of people, what happens is that they do ministry and they realize God is using me and I can do this well, I can do that well, I can strategize, I can pray for people, I can do all these things well, and this is pretty good. And then it slowly, slowly slides into, I'm pretty good, and man, God is so lucky to have me because he's trained me and now maybe he can take a back seat and I can take over. And then what usually happens is something crashes or something dramatic happens and they realize it's not me it's not my skills it's not my ability it's not my guanxi it's god and god at that point between the ages of 35 to 55 at some point strips away strips away things and so these people if they follow well, if they continue well, have some kind of catharsis, something changes in them where they come to a realization it is only God. And then they began to lead out of who they are. And when I say who they are, they know they are children of God. And so they began to lead out of not because they know how to do this well and that well or whatever, but because of God. Ned Ruby, I remember one time he said to me, oh, and this is probably 30 years ago, he said, I don't really have to pray that much for situations anymore because I already have all the wisdom. I already know what to say. And when I heard that, I got really scared for him. Two years later, he almost died. And now at this stage in his life, he sees all of these other things are not as important as knowing Jesus, as walking with Jesus. And then the last one is finishing well where you're actually able to multiply yourself or what God has done in you. And again, number four, most leaders don't get there. Most don't. And so it's a little bit rare that someone does get there. What does that mean? Sometimes you can, you can find out that you have been in church for 10 years, you've been a Christian for 20 years, and you realize you're still fearful. Your relationship with God is maybe just superficial. And you still feel empty. And you think, well, I don't, I don't want to tell anyone this because I've been a Christian for 30 years, but I've kind of plateaued. hasn't really gone out. Now, one thing that Professor Clinton found out is that looking at leaders in ministry, looking at their lifetime, most leaders had an average of six to seven times throughout their lifetime where they had a significant renewal. Do you understand what I mean? So whether they were a missionary or a pastor or a whatever, whatever, even just a Christian following, that they had six to seven times in their life where they were renewed. So renewal is something that is there, something that we need. Um, as, you look for rest, rush, as you look for rest in the summer, make sure 
that you're looking for the right rest. If we go to the next slide, there are three questions that all of us need to answer. And these are really, really simple questions. Who is God? Who are you? And what does God think about you? Now, when I say these are questions that you need to know, I'm not talking about taking a test. I'm not talking about you giving me scripture that will show who God is or who we are. I'm talking about something deep, deep, deep in your heart. You know what I mean. When you're by yourself and nobody else knows what you know and nobody else sees what you see and nobody else sees the thoughts that you're thinking, whatever they would be, who is God? Because if you don't know who God is, you can start off with information You can start off with text, you can start off with scripture, all good, but if it's wrong, you find out 20, 30 years later, you really haven't known God. Who is God? And then who are you? A lot of times we think, well, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. And yet I found recently that no, you need to know who you are because that may give you a clue to how you perceive God, how you know God. A couple nights ago, I was talking to a couple who were in the States. I have some pastoral responsibility for them. And the wife is a counselor. She's very, um, very sensitive to what's going on. She really talks to a lot of people. She's very relational. The husband is not. The husband is kind of typical of people in the Midwest, not the Mideast, in the Midwest where I'm from, and that he works with his hands. He's really good. He shows love by fixing your car, changing your tire, doing your electricity. And Doug, he would even help you with your plumbing in your home. That's how he is. But if you ask him to explain, if you ask him to show love, he's a little bit confused. He's really not sure. And I've worked with him for actually a few years. And we've tried to say, well, how can he get close to God? He said something a couple nights ago. And he said, I'm realizing once I get to know myself, I think that will help me to know God. Now, if you, if you look at that, that sounds a bit selfish. First to know me, then I can know God. But what he said after that, he said, I'm just so afraid to find out what I'm really like. Because he said, I know there's ugliness in there. And a lot of us, we're afraid to find out just how depraved we are, or just how selfish, or how lustful, or how greedy we are. Because we think, if that's who I really am, will I be accepted? And that's why the third question is so, so important. It's not just that Jesus died for me and he's my personal savior and he accepts me. That is factual, but that is just a start. Knowing deep, deep, deep inside that I can stand before God and I can say that's who I am, like we heard in that song. Confidently say, I am a child of God. Not because I'm better than anyone else, not because I have all the answers, not because I, te- I passed that Bible quiz, but because of the wonderful grace, the wonderful mercy, and incredible love of God, where love moves from just being a scripture to a reality, to an experience. And you know without a doubt, God is God, and I know he loves me. That means you have intimacy with God. So what does God think of you? When, you? when you hear that question, do you, or do you think, I know what he thinks of me. Not in an arrogance, but in a settled peace, a confident joy because of who he is and how wonderful he is. 
Now, for most people, this is talking about identity. Henry Nouwen, a famous writer, he has said, most people find their identity in one, what they do, whether your competency, your achievement. I know if I meet people here, they go, ni shi, and, and when you answer, then you answer usually what? Your job. Whatever. And we usually say, that's because that identifies us, who we are. Who are you? And I remember one time one, one Chinese guy said to me, How do you not know who I am? And I said, well, I, I'm sorry I don't. Because that's how people, when people meet people, we find out who are you? Okay, how, where can I put you? Oh, how You know, we, are you higher than me, lower than me, whatever? You have more than me, all that kind of stuff. God doesn't do that. Do you really believe that? God does not do that because what ends up happening is the way we treat people, this is why it's good to know ourselves, the way we treat people, the habits that we have, the things we're afraid of, that's how we treat God. Unless it gets healed, unless it gets changed, unless you really see God do something deep in you, what you see goes on, what goes on in your family, in your youth, you will carry that into your adulthood. You'll carry it into your marriage, in your marriage. And all of those who are married will, will say they know what I mean. But you also carry it into your relationship with God. So if you had a hard time being loved by other people, you will think, how could God possibly love me? And so these three questions are very simple. And you need to not just get facts. You need to live out of these answers. And that's where the joy comes in. And a lot of times we say, okay, I know this, but the shift is very subtle. And you don't notice it until one day you realize, wow, I'm not even close to living out what the answers are to these. Or sometimes people say, can you lead the Bible study? <gasps> Me! And you realize the main problem is not that you don't know the Bible. Maybe you know it really well. The main problem, you're afraid of the other people and you don't have confidence that God will come through. So there's a, there's a scripture in um, Psalm 50. I was reading this last week. I think it's the next one on here. And this is a good scripture. It's not bad. Uh, it says, Sacrifice, thank offerings to God, fulfill your vows to the Most High, and call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you and you will honor me. Hey, that's pretty good, right? It's not bad. It's in the context of David was writing out some other things. But when I read it, I felt like God said, many people, this is the only, only depth that they know me by. This is the only way. So think about it. A lot of us think if we give money to the church, if we pray a little bit or whatever, fulfill your vows. I told God I would do this. God will do this for me. You know, that kind of a thing. Calling me in the day of trouble. Probably everyone here in the day of trouble will call on God. It's not good. God waits for us to call on him. He will deliver us and we will honor him and say, yes, I believe in God, I follow God. This is not bad. But I want to ch challenge you today and encourage you, don't stay there. Don't stay there. There's so much more, so, so, so much more than just this. If this describes your deepest experience, your deepest walk with God, then you have a lot more to discover. A lot more. So much more. Don't just stay there. You've got to go past this. So earlier, um, we had the two people read the scripture that I go back to over 
and over again. Love God with all your heart, soul, might, everything, everything you've got. I will spend the rest of my life figuring out what does that look like, what does it mean. And at some point when you read that scripture, you will say, I can't. I can't do this. All of my heart, all of my soul, all of my might, all of my all, 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 all. In Arabic, we say kolo. Kolo kamen. Everything. And you realize, I can't. I've tried. I've tried, and I can't. And that's when God says, come. Laiba. Come. Come to me. I am the one that lives inside of you. I am the one. And that's why abiding is not just a nice thing, because it's the only thing. You will not live a real life outside of that. But you need to come to that place. And if you feel, I can't do this anymore, that is okay. God is preparing you. He's working in you. He's bringing you to a place of incredible need where you see yourself. And he says, come, come before me. Be intimate with me. When you think about God, do you know we all know how to pray when we don't have any money, or we all know how to pray when things are going bad with our kids or something like that. Do you know how to relax with God? Do you know how to laugh with God? Do you know how to enjoy God? So often God becomes a coach, and when we don't need help, we don't go to the coach. But God is not a coach. He's a father. He's a shepherd. A shepherd that never leaves a sheep. He's always there, 24-7, all the time. You can call him any time, no matter what situation you're in. And if you're not sure, my father was not a wonderful father. And it took me years to get healed from thinking, what is a father? And I've realized this Father, this Heavenly Father, is so much greater than anyone can imagine, can anyone, than anyone can know. One writer says, You stir in us to take pleasure in praising you because we have been made for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Now you can focus on our heart is restless until it rests in you, but... Think about we take pleasure in praising because we are made for him. We are made for him. You know, when you look at, again, maybe you've heard me say that the command to love God with everything, everything, everything. Usually when we hear that, we feel like we're, we feel bad and feel like, well, oh, I haven't done that enough. I haven't done that enough. Okay, I better pray more. I better get up earlier to read the Bible. I better do this. But take it, turn it around. What if, and this is what I believe, that by obeying, by abandoning ourselves to God and obeying God, we become 100%, as much as is possible here on earth, fully human. Fully created to what we are supposed to be. So that the gifts that are inside us, God can develop. So that the things that are inside us, He can develop. And it's not about us, but it's about Him. And you become all that God wants you to be. So following after Him with everything you have actually makes you become exactly what he wants you to be. And if you say, well, I don't know exactly what that is, get to know him. And seeking him is where you find out what you are like. And again, don't, don't think that if you find out what you're like, it'll just be you are actually bad, you are actually terrible, you are actually no. 
You were actually loved. You were actually precious. God waits for you. I don't have many friends that will wait for me to talk to them. But he waits you. He doesn't go, come on. He says, no, come. He loves being with you. Do you believe that? He loves being with you. We can say, well, we know he loves being with the poor people, with the immigrants, with the orphans, with all the people. But if you've got power, if you've got wealth, God loves to be with you just as much as with the orphans or the poor. It doesn't matter to him. It matters more to us than it does to him. Now, why don't we have that intimacy? Why don't we have that closeness with him? And how do we get so, we we start off well and then we get busy and we get busy and there's so much to do, there's so much to do that we often, in our spiritual growth, we plateau or we hang on to some resentment or pride. And when Jesus said, forgive others, he's saying, so that you can be free. Because when you hold bitterness, it doesn't so much affect the people maybe that you're bitter against as much as it affects you and it affects your walk with God and sometimes we believe that it's more important for us to be doing things and doing things and saving people and going out and have to have to um, because we've forgotten who is the one who gives us power who's the one that gives us control if you know intimacy with God then you know how to hold anxiety worry You know how to hold those without letting them control you. You don't just say, okay, it doesn't matter, I've got bills, let's just rip them up and burn them up and pretend like they're not there. No, God is a God of reality, God of real. But what is it like to have those things that even today, right now at this time, are bothering you, are worrying you? What if, what if, what if, what if? A lot of energy. I know I can, man, I can... My wife sometimes, she said, you, you will live in your head and go through all those what-ifs. But if we don't know how to hold ambiguity, mystery, we don't have all the answers. God does things that I don't understand. We don't know this. We don't know why. You don't know why your boss did that to you last week. You don't know how that project's going to come out. All those ambiguities. You can spin. Your head can be going around and around and around. But if you don't know how to handle anxiety, if you don't know how to handle ambiguity, to hold those before God, then if you don't know how to entrust God and wait on Him, you will run. Or you will give an explanation. Well, I'm really tired today. Or I, yeah, I don't know, I ate something last night. You know, or something like that. Rather than really going to God. Now, what is the intimacy that I'm talking about? What's the definition for that? To dwell in God's presence, to be with God. You probably know what it's like to be with a good friend, but to be with God, to actually live with Him, not be far away, but to live with Him, to listen to God's voice. And that's always a question people go, I wish I could. I wish I knew how to hear more. Keep leaning into Him. And it isn't that you walk around and, yes, God is saying this, God is saying that. Now I can hear God everything. But it is in the reality of your daily life where God will speak to you. And so in that intimacy, to look at God's beauty. Do you ever enjoy God? 
I mean, stop and think, wow, you are so wise. Man, you are incredibly wise. Okay, if he's wise, what does that mean for me? That means he already knows. That means he has the answers. That means I don't have to worry. When you think God is truthful, he never lies. God is gentle. Do you ever celebrate those things? I often tell God, you are so funny. Because things that I think, oh no, what about this? They work out okay. Or when they don't work out, he is so close to me that I find out what is it like to go through that and still have peace, still be that way. To touch God's incarnate word and to taste fully God's infinite goodness. To taste fully God's infinite goodness. Now, for some of you, you might think, well, those are all kind of emotional words, and I'm an engineer, and I don't really think that way. Let God speak to you in whatever way he wants to. That's why if you know yourself, then you'll know the ways that God can be with you. God can touch you. Okay, in the last few minutes, I just want to say two things that might help you in really getting renewed. One is solitude. Be by yourself. Don't be afraid. Solitude and silence. Now, silence is really, really hard these days. This thing, for some people, I think they were born with it coming right here. And it's amazing how your boss, your friends, have your attention more than God does. Can you stop and do nothing and have no music, have no sound, nothing, and be by yourself? I mean, I ask myself that question because my mind can be racing and racing. And for a lot of people, it's really hard to be alone. It's really hard to be by yourself. And no wonder we feel disconnected from God. We are rarely able to give him our full attention in solitude and silence. Now, you can say, well, this city's really loud and it's so busy. A couple days ago, I went with my wife to a Korean prayer meeting. It starts at, I think, 4.30 or 5 in the morning at a church here, Korean church. Now, if you've ever been to a Korean prayer meeting, they are not quiet. Okay, you wouldn't think of silence as being part of a Korean prayer meeting. And yet, in that noise, in all the different sounds and sounds and a lot of noise, my wife finds solitude and she finds peace. You don't wait, don't wait for the perfect situation. Maybe when you're in the toilet, that's your only quiet time during the day. Or maybe when you're waiting for the bus. Or maybe when you're in the subway. Nowadays, people are very quiet in the subway because everybody is like this. And nobody's talking to each other because everyone's got that. Now, I love technology, and I think it's wonderful. But if we're not careful, uh, technology can control us. Ruth Haley Barton, who is an author that I would highly recommend, Ruth Haley Barton, she said, solitude is an opportunity to interrupt this cycle by turning off the noise and stimulation of our lives so that we can hear our loneliness and our longing calling us deeper into the only relationship that can satisfy our longing. All those other things that you think you need, that you think you have to have, at the very core of all of your needs is God. And that is the only relationship that will satisfy. And God will provide, God will do many, many things. If you haven't experienced this, it doesn't mean it's true. It's not true. It means 
you just haven't experienced it. You know, there's a lot of things. If you look in Revelation, it talks about angels 24-7 standing before the throne, and what do they say? Do they say, how much longer do we have to do this? When's our break? Can I, I got to go to the bathroom, I'll be back. It says that they say, holy, 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 holy. Now, if that was me, I, I think I'd last maybe a half an hour or an hour. But when I look at that, and then that makes, it doesn't make me feel like, oh, I'm so bad. I'm, I'm, I'm not spiritual enough. I just, I need to pray more, go to church. No, it makes me think, what do they know that I don't? I want to find out. I want to know. They must know so much more about God that they are able to stand there 24-7 in awe saying, holy, holy, holy. And I think, okay, God, open my eyes to see more. Allow me to understand more, not just factually, but experientially, where I really know your love. I really know what you're like. The second thing is the word. Now, a lot of times, I know there's people here who read the Bible a lot. You know probably the Bible better than I do. But think about when you are in school, how do you read your textbooks? Everyone who's in high school or school, college, whatever, or even in your job, if you have something, you have a learning curve that you have to read a lot of material, you read it to be able to pass the test. Read it to be able to pass the test. You are the master of the text. How can I go over that? Okay, all right, all right. The next day you have the test, and then what happens after that? Then you forget it. Maybe if I asked you, what did you study this past semester? Well, you remember the names of the classes, but maybe the material you might not remember. Don't read the Bible like that. The Bible is life, and it takes time. Let it sink in. Let God speak to you. Because of this, Throughout the, man, the history of mankind, there has never been a time where people have more access to the Word of God. Never before. Never. You can, you can read, you can listen to the Word all day long if you want to. Let God speak to you through His Word. Let Him renew you. If you do that, you'll get to know Him better. And if you know Him better, you'll trust Him more. I guarantee that. If you know Him better... You'll trust him more. Now, the last thing I want to show you is a quote by Ned Berube. I think it's a slide right before this. And, wow, this is really small. It says, Jesus never appears rushed or overworked in the Gospels, does he? You don't hear Jesus going, hurry up, come on, we've got to get to the other side of the lake. Storm's coming. Hurry up, get out of the water, let's go. He doesn't say, throw over those tables and say, okay, hurry up, let's get out of here. We've got other ministry to do. No, when he's on his way to go heal a child of a famous person, some lady grabs him here, and what does he do? He stops. Think about it. If you're his disciples, you might be going, come on, she's just a simple lady, nobody knows her. And he stops and spends time with her and heals her and gives her his attention. Jesus never appears rushed and overworked in the Gospels, Because ministry was not his first priority. Whoa. Ministry was not his first priority. Work, getting things done, projects, was not his first priority. What was it? It was simply obeying his father's will and being present to his father at every turn. 
making himself available, abiding in the Father's love. That's so that he could be stopped on the way and actually give attention, actually change. He could spend time with a woman at a well talking to someone that he should not be talking to. He could do all those things, not because he had this agenda, but because he was available and open to the Father. He was never really emotionally exhausted before Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane, of course, he was. But before that, he was tired, but not really emotionally exhausted. But we, mere mortals, easily get there. And the work that we do as leaders cannot be done out of a state of physical or emotional depletion. It simply can't be done. Let God renew you. This summer, if you have a chance, if you have time, you absolutely need to let God renew you. Let God refresh you. And if you don't know what that means, but you, you feel something in your heart, even today, in your mind, thinking, I want to know this, but I don't know how. That is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You don't have to have all the answers, but just lean in. Be honest with God and ask him to renew you, refresh you, so that all of us here, regardless of our age, can finish well. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that we always have your attention. We thank you that you never change. We thank you that you listen to us, that you love us more, more than we can even imagine. We just scratch the surface of how you feel, how you think, how you view us. Lord, we're thankful that you understand us too. You know our frailty, you know our pride, you know our stubbornness, all that stuff you already know. There's no surprises to you. But we ask, God, that you would help us. We don't want this just to be an ideal or an answer on a Bible quiz, but we really want to empty ourselves. We want to give you time, space, and our attention so that we really can give you and you can speak to us, renew us, touch our hearts. Take us farther than we've ever been before, God. Take us deeper than places we've never gone with you. And Lord, we say this because we know you answer prayer. And we say this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.